Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Roger Report podcast. I'm Johnny Goldsmith, joined by the lads who made the hugely anticipated Netflix series Sun Until I Die. It's Leo Pullman, Ben Turner, and Suits from Football 73. Yeah, all right, lads? Hello. Yeah, Hi, good, very good, mate. Tell us a little bit about yourselves for those listening who don't know who Football 73 are. Could you give us a brief overview of what you guys do? Uh, yes, yeah, so we, uh, 473 is a production company. We make um, all kinds of content. Uh, we made the class of 92. We made the recent uh, Iron Bolt f- film about Usain Bolt. We make the Late Late Show in LA and uh, Carpool Karaoke. Uh, but most importantly, we made Sunland Till I Die. Uh, we set this company up uh, 10, 12 years ago, called the company after the end of the ground at Roker Park where we used to stand as kids. And obviously, 73, when we last won something of major significance. And the dream has always been to make a, a series where we were given access to the club that we love. And uh, now, that we've, now that we've done that, we're, we're, we're kind of done. This is it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How did you become Southern supporters? I'm hearing from the accent. It's obviously not a local accent, but did you grow up here? Well, yeah, Leah grew up in the Northeast. Our, our family were, uh, were based in Sunderland. Uh, many of them moved down to London, but the thing that's kind of kept uh, everyone together is the Sunderland connection. It allows the tiniest of uh, members of the family to talk to the oldest members of the family and have something in common. Um, and so when we set the company up, because we we're mainly cousins, old friends and family, uh, we needed a name that kind of reflected where we came from. The time that we spent together as kids was was mainly at football. Um, it was Gabe and Ben coming to a game with their with their dad and their uncle meeting up with me and my dad and brother and going to a game and standing in the rain at Roker Park and almost inevitably watching us lose. What about yourself, Suits? Actually, I'm, I'm not a Sunderland fan. That's not true. Um, that is not true. Sorry, I wasn't a Sunderland fan uh, till I came up here. Um, but it was amazing hearing the stories from these boys about uh, their time as football fans. And there's some, what was this? Was it Colchester? You went and blagged yeah. your way in at the end yeah. of the season to to pretend like, on the pretense. Colchester in the promotion run, there was only like 200 away fan tickets, and we didn't get one. So we called up Colchester and told them we were making a documentary about football and football fans, and they gave us press passes to go and get on the pitch with the yellow jackets on to to enable us to go to the game. When Sunderland scored the first goal, we over-celebrated a touch given that we were on the sideline Colchester fans kind of spotted maybe we weren't press and uh, we ended up diving for cover into the Sunderland end 
And that's just one of many. So when Gabe, Gabe made a film and was on Soccer AM as a guest, and um, when he was on, so the researchers were asking us for sort of footage and stuff like that. And, and we, we've got this footage of Gabe going nuts in a, the Derby game from, which was it? Was it was beating Newcastle? Was it? Yeah, I think it was the Richardson free yeah. kick when Richardson scored the free kick and scored and then cut to the crowd and they're all going nuts and if you look in one of the corners there's Gabe like jumping up and down his parka Ben's not in shot because he's turned around and is hugging someone else from behind <laughs> but these boys are proper Sunderland fans they're, they're Mackham through and through and so um, yeah I've, I've sort of been living a bit vicariously through them uh, for this and then and then came and got involved yesterday and saw it for myself firsthand. Tell them what you told me tell them what you told me earlier in the lift about like about what your experience of being in Sunderland. Oh yeah, well, well, we were just talking. Obviously, we're talking about it because because that's what we do when we're up here. And wherever you go, people talk about the passion of football, right? And everyone, England fans think they're the most passionate football fans in the world. And they're clearly not. When you go to South America and other parts of Europe, you see that. Like I would say that the football fans there are like fully fanatic. And actually, as England fans, we're not that passionate. We like home games. You see someone playing the trumpet and banging the drum every now and then, but you sort of sit there and enjoy it and support. Um, but I think the North East is different and I think Sunderland fans are different. And I think that they actually do deliver on being the passionate fans that you hear about more than anyone else. Um, and yeah, being a part of that and seeing that was one of the, stepping into this world, um, that was one of the things that really struck me not knowing much about this club other than just being a football fan and, you know, sort mm. of seeing the seeing Sunderland through the eyes of a, a support for a different club. Um, and look, we're lucky enough to do loads of different things, travel the world, meet different people. Um, but I would say that making this series, being exposed to that passion, sort of mirrors the sort of passion that we've seen when we do things like with One Direction, you see the fans for them or um, a couple of others, but, other, but, but in a lot of other... <clears throat> Excuse me, in a lot of other circumstances, you don't see that passion. But that is the one thing that I sort of... I love that. Can you quote yeah. Suits on that? that <laughs> Sunderland fans are, are the One Direction fans of football. That yeah, is... Love that. Love that. Love that. Yeah, make that a hashtag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sport, for you guys, obviously, um, living away from Sunderland, but you still follow the club. What's it like? Because you're obviously very busy. What's it like following the club for people who perhaps don't live in the area? Well, we we grew up. I mean, uh, Leo grew up in uh, up here in the northeast. Uh, me and Gabe uh, grew up in London, and so we it was more away games than home games. I mean, coming up to Sunderland for me as a kid was just like was just the most exciting thing in the world. And walking into a stadium where uh, where the majority of the fans were Sunderland fans, and with that atmosphere, was just like uh, for me, it was like a hallowed it was hallowed turf. I mean, my the, most of my experience would be sitting. Also, we would get would go in the eighties. So when I was a little kid, my dad would often take us like in the family enclosure. And so I'd spend a lot of time around London grounds with like the entire stadium on their feet and me and my head in my hands. So like to come home was always such a, uh, was such an amazing thing. I think there's like, there's a romance to Sunderland and particularly the Sunderland club shop that like, <laughs> that really like kind of, that really like stays with us. And I think, you know, we, uh, over the years when we were students uh, and started working and didn't really have any commitments and we'd come up a, a hell of a lot more. Um, there was one particular season, the, the, the 15 points. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The 15 point season, we got more points on our licenses driving up and down to home games <laughs> than the club got that season. Yeah. That's genuinely true. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. I mean, it, with the obviously with the internet and stuff as well, I guess it's not as difficult for yourself, Leo, to perhaps 
stay up to date with what's going on in Sunderland as well. You know, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's not the same atmosphere, but no, it's not at all. And you, as Ben said, even at this age, you still get a massive tingle out of coming to a home game. Mm. And now that the three of us have got have got kids, and we've all got boys who are between the age of like four and two and a half, and uh, having them get excited about Sunderland, and I mean, they don't understand yet what we've burdened them with yet. I mean, they they will do sooner or later, and they'll hate us for it, but. Right now, they're excited at the idea of being Sunderland fans. And they're actually, we're bringing them up to their first home game, uh, the Bristol game, in a couple of weeks. Oh, yes. And uh, that kind of reignites that passion in you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's, then you realise you've got to start going to games again because you've got to bring them. And that's really, that's really special. And walking around the club now and just like not having filmed there for, for a season, or well, a season mm-hmm. and a half now, and just knowing everybody around the club even better, you know, all the people and all the doors and the chefs and just like the, the infrastructure of the club is really special, you know, mm. after all those years. And those people are really special. And I, I think they come across as that in the show when you watch it. Yeah. Going back to your point about like with the internet and how it's sort of changed how you stay in touch. We've got a WhatsApp group, which is um, the three boys and myself. And obviously some of the games that these guys can come with, come up to last year while we were... Um, well, we were making the, the first series, um, and so but I was there for every game. So I was there filming, and leading up to it, we'd chat, and they would straight on like, "What's the what's the lineup? Uh, what's going on?" And they would be asking me, but also be searching the internet for all the sort of information. And then we'd be shooting the game, or you know, going in for interviews and all that sort of stuff. I come back, and sometimes I wouldn't be able to keep my phone on me because because you're you're working. The, the amount of messages that would fill that group during a game, every single game would just drain the battery. So I, could, I was, couldn't contact anyone else. We needed to chat to Borley to try and organise an interview afterwards. Couldn't get in touch with him because the messages that these boys had been sending each other had just like, completely wiped the battery. Most of them abusive. <laughs> <laughs> we get that on the uh, Rock Report. Uh, we've got a WhatsApp group as well. And so during the games, it's like, you don't miss a thing. If yeah. you're not there, it's, it's all right. Yeah. Just read to the, yeah. uh, read to the yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, but how does it feel to be... On Wearsight today and being around the people who've worked hard in Sunderland to make this possible, really. I landed this morning back from a job. Um, I was in South Africa this time yesterday. Oh. So I flew back. Um, and on the train on the way up here with the guys, I, I'm, genuinely, I'm genuinely excited to see everyone because it was a horrendous year last year. But the people within the club um, were amazing. I, you know, I, I fell in love with the people and the place a little bit. And um, it's really exciting to see them tonight, actually. I'm, I'm excited to see the reaction to it. It's pretty surreal. I mean, I wasn't joking at the beginning, you know, when I said about the history of the company and the kind of people that we've worked with, the kind of shows we've made, the films we've made. But if you genuinely, if you'd asked us in 2006 when we set this up, what our dream job would have been, it wouldn't have been this. It would have been to make an end-of-season DVD for the club. We That's, begged them. We, we begged we, the we club genuinely, for years. We, for years, we said we'd do it for free just to have the chance to, you know, cut some Sunderland footage. And they always turn us down. So to... To now be here today and the series to be launching, it genuinely does feel like the the absolute highlight of everything we've done over the last 10 or 12 years. And we had this, like, we it was amazing this week. Netflix started sending through all, like, the artwork, you know, on the homepage where it's going to be there and the trailers that they've cut out this season. It's just, like, unbelievable. We felt really emotional. It's like, because we've spent a lot, well, I've spent a lifetime trying to explain to people why I'm a Sunderland fan. Even Sunderland fans would ask me, like, I remember coming to, like, the uh, one of the playoff games against Crystal Palace the leg up at the stadium of light and the fans yeah. are like why are you how what why are you in the Sunderland then I was like, you know because I love Sunderland you couldn't get it why I'd like still yes. why, what, what I was even doing there 
And I'm just watching these trailers come through and it's gone, we've done it, we've packaged it, it's gone out there, they've watched it and recut it and sent it back to us. And it's like, it doesn't, they, they've got a few different trailers for it. There's like one about the fans, there's one of the players, there's one of the coaches. And it just really does express something of like this thing that we've loved our whole lives and spoken about our whole lives and obsessed upon our whole lives and told people that it's special. And now it's going to be on this global platform. Hundreds of millions of people are going to watch it. Is it available in the United States as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's around the world. There's 135 million subscribers to Netflix and every single one of them is going to have the chance to watch a series about Sunderland, our club. I mean, for you guys, it must be, as you say, a dream come true. Mm. But take us right back to the start of this. What made you decide, you know what, we're going to make a series about Sunderland and we're going to let the whole world see it here. What made you decide you want to do that? Well, we just always wanted to do it. What, like, for us, it's, it was like, it's really true. This is this is the thing we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing was how to pitch it to Netflix. Yeah. That's something another club to do it on. I mean, like, Leo's an incredible salesman. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> and, but this, then this one, and this one was particularly personal because Sunderland unlike other clubs well every club's got a story but things we things happen in Sunderland it's never boring here yeah. um, and and so we rather than do like a mid-table premiership team I mean we thought it was going to be the, the return you know it was going to be amazing because you'd see a club rebuild and go back to the mm. premiership that was, that, that was the sell um, but it's also that um, it's also something very special about the area of, of Sunderland and, and the, the role that this football club plays to the city of Sunderland and kind of the role that the city of Sunderland plays in England it's a, it's a kind of microcosm of a lot of like big themes that are playing out across world politics um, that somehow work their way into this club and into that story uh, and and I uh, just hope that when it comes out people it, it really does sort of touch people across the pond and all over the world and they see a bit of their own kind of story in that I mean that's kind of, that was the sell as a someone found myself just to see this happen it's um mm-hmm. It's bizarre, really. It's kind of surreal to think that because you know you've got the Manchester City one. There's the one about Juventus, and mm. then there's one about Sunderland. And yeah. It's like, wow, this is my club getting yeah, this kind yeah. of thing. It's it's good for us as well. You know, you've got yeah. like goal as well, where you see yeah, like, Newcastle yeah. United's on Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Um, well, the great thing about that was that it was shite. So. <laughs> <laughs> and also, going in a serious note, going back to those other two, the diff- major difference between this and those two is that this is much better than those two as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah, but I really want to keep saying I don't get too involved in it on Twitter. But I keep wanting to reply to people, just being like to two types of people: Sunderland fans being, "Oh my god, I don't never, how am I going to want to watch this? It's going to last season was bad enough." I just want to say to them, "It's made by people who love the club." Mm-hmm. Like I don't, you know, it, it's made by we. It's, it's not like the Man City documentary is made by an American production company who want to come in here and put soccer on the screen. Mm-hmm. It's not the same thing. This isn't like this is made. This is made by people who really love the club. And conversely, to people from other clubs who are laughing about it, mm. it's like it's it's better than it's going. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than the other football films that you've that you may have seen before. Yes, because it's made in real love about you know. Let's talk about the club itself. Um, were they easy to get in contact with to suggest that you want to get the cameras involved in the training rooms and a bit closer than before? How were they with that? Um, we had a we had a good relationship we knew a lot of people at the club we knew the owner at the time Ellis Short and Martin Bain um, so and we started talking to them actually it was about two thirds of the way through the premiership season the season we got relegated and so there was still at that point the hope that we do what we'd done the previous three or four years which is survive in the most dramatic of fashion and have another year in the premiership so when we started talking to them about it the idea was to follow them in the Premiership. 
if they survived. Um, the pitch to the club, the pitch to Ellis, was very much about building the, the Sunderland brand. It was about the idea there was 135 million Netflix viewers and just think of the commercial upside of allowing the club to be seen by the rest of the world. And also, with it being made by Sunderland fans, it wasn't like you know we were going to dig to find the dirt. We were just going to tell the story as it unfolded. Um, so that was relatively simple. When the club were relegated, it obviously became a little trickier. Uh, although, again, the pitch at that point was, let the world see you guys turn this around. Let the world see the club win promotion, Phoenix from the flames, do what Newcastle had done the previous year, storm the championship, a division that traditionally we're really, really good at. Um, and so again, it seemed like a relatively easy pitch or relatively easy comparatively. Um, and the club bought into it. Obviously, once they'd done so and the cameras were rolling, then as the season panned out, it wasn't like they could stop us from filming at any point during. So, you know, the, the rest is history, I guess. There's always a bit of sort of give and take with the access. Whenever you do this kind of documentary, it depends on the relationship you build. Whatever's written down on paper about what's agreed, it depends on the relationship you build with the people there. And it was complicated because very quickly the manager was under pressure and his feet and everyone in the club is suddenly like wondering whether they actually want to be filmed, you know, doing what they're doing on a on you know on a daily basis. And then the manager gets sacked, so you've got to build a relationship with someone new. Go back a step. We pitched it originally to David Moyes. That's so the true. First, yeah. The first pitch was yeah, yeah, right. There you go. The first pitch was David Moyes, and then obviously he was fired. So then we were on to Grayson, as Ben rightly right. says. Then it was on to Chris, and so on and so forth. So we we went through numerous times. We had to start again and build these relationships, and that was definitely mm. that was definitely tough. Yeah, I mean, since so you were on the front line of that, so yeah, you should talk about it a bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. It was a lot tougher than some of the stuff we'd done. You know, uh, if we're doing, for example, we're making a film with Usain Bolt. We work in small teams, so there'd be say four or five of us go over to Jamaica for a certain uh, period of filming, a little chapter that we need for it. And really, when you're looking at at breaking a relationship, or sorry, building a relationship with him and his team, you're talking about three of them. So you're talking about his manager, him, um, and his agent. So you can spend a lot. You don't have to spend as much time building a relationship with three people as you do, for example, with an entire football club where you've got CEO, management, staff, players, fan, you know, we're taking, we're trying to build relationships with the whole city. Um, and also you forget about the period of time we're talking about because football just is never ending. It continues. We're already into a new season. We're already into a new manager. We're already into bringing up to Christmas, almost another second of their transfer windows with that new manager. You forget about the period we're talking about. And you're talking about a period where we're trying to build relationships where the previous manager nearly lost his job for a comment made about, uh, you know, with the BBC, about the the joke with mm-hmm. the, the female member of staff. So, understandably, football clubs don't necessarily, uh, aren't traditionally known for opening their doors. Mm-hmm. And this one as well had reasons to not want cameras anywhere near them for, for a host of reasons. Yeah, the so, club have a, have a pretty checkered history over the last couple of years with, you know, internal dramas. So it wasn't it wasn't the easiest job, but we got there and we kept going. And um, I think I think the series is 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 brilliant, and I think it is a brilliant access doc. Um, it isn't like the Man City doc where we're dancing around in the changing rooms, but that's what wasn't what was happening in the changing rooms last year at this football club. So the series does reflect what was going on here, which is a different story. And most of the team weren't even in the changing rooms. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, almost a dream for Sunderland fans to be able to access, you know, the mm-hmm. club behind the scenes, to be able to film what's going on. 
I mean, obviously, apart from brilliant, I guess, what was it like for you guys? I see. It's, it's, it was a strange. Uh, it's a, it was a paradoxical thing because the drama of what was going on was amazing for the documentary. I mean, like when you set out at the beginning to shoot something like this, it's eight episodes. So, like, how are you going to fill that? You know, when you think about how you're going to fill those eight episodes, sometimes you think about you know they're going to be a stretch of if they were like on a promotion till and we're just winning game after game. What are you going to put in those shows to to make it interesting? Well, I mean, from that perspective, last year, you know, if you get through two managers, you know, transfer windows, all the kinds of different things that happen, you're almost struggling to be able to get all of that into it. But as a fan, it's quite painful, and it, and it's and it's interesting because you're you have different instincts within you. You know, like all the fans were very very tough on like Martin, say let's say Martin Bain. Mm. You know, but we got to know him quite well, and you know, well, the guy made mistakes, and there's there's plenty of, of wrong things about it. But he really cared about it. He was working really hard to try and turn it around. And he had his and, hands tied behind his back by an owner who'd completely given up. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Martin Bain was, you know, as we said before, he's, he's working 22 hour days and doing the job of seven or eight different people mm-hmm. just to try and keep the club afloat. And people see him as this stooge for Ellis Short, but. You know, Ellis Short was had cut off the funds and was making the job impossible. So yes. on the one hand, you're sitting there watching it, being like, you know, fuck Martin Bain, and he, we need to see a victory in the moment. And then afterwards, you go and speak to him. You feel awful about it. You feel awful for him. You know, you, you develop that relationship, and you see both sides of it. I, I tell you, seeing the difference in him as well, we obviously <clears throat> worked with a lot of the local press so we'd be speaking to Nick Barnes from uh, BBC North and all the guys at Roker Report and all these other guys weekly. And you see the mood in the place weekly, weekly, weekly. And we had a conversation with Nick Barnes towards the end of the season. And Nick was, he basically said, to, he said, like, you can see it. You can see the effect that this club has had on Martin. I had quite a close relationship with Martin through the filming of this. And, and I could see that as well. And it was quite interesting because when you're in the club, in the middle of it, you can't really say that much to everyone outside, right? Because that's that's the point of it. It's about trust. Once you're inside, you don't then go and and, and spill the beans on what you're what you're seeing and what you're learning and what you're uh, experiencing. And then we'd go outside and we'd speak to fans, and fans would be saying to us, like Ben said, "Well, fuck Martin Bain. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't care." And then that next afternoon, you're going back with Martin, and you can see it on his face that he's trying everything he possibly can to turn it around. But mm. without any money, how do you do that in a in a football club? So that was really interesting to see. The other thing about going back to what Ben was saying about um, what's it like as football fans to be involved and to see what everything's going on, is Ben was then involved, heavily involved in the edit. That's one of Ben's specialities. And when you're filming it, you live it once. Mm-hmm. When you're in the edit, you live that 10 times a day or just for hours and hours and weeks and weeks and weeks. And so, for example, like the relegation, we, we, we knew it was coming. Everyone did. We were building up to it and we were filming it with you know the story in mind. We then essentially passed that over to Ben in the edit, and he had to relive that for days and weeks and hours into you know into the small hours of the night. So I actually like we we cut we cut a kind of early sort of promo of it to show Netflix where we were going, and it was really soon after relegation, and the footage had just come in, and we pulled an all night for cutting it, and actually cried in the edit suite because just watching us go down and get you know just watching it again and again and looking to make the drama even more and looking at shots of all the fans heartbroken and seeing Darren Benz you know what I mean it was just awful it's just like like unbelievable and it was quite cathartic in a way because by by the morning I would like I felt like I'd sort of grieved cried it all out cried it all out yeah (laughs) and then I had to spend another six weeks editing the same thing over and again it was like it was it's a mixed blessing what about you've 
filmed in some fans' houses and watching them mm. on a daily basis. How did you recruit fans to be part of it? Did they say they'd like to help out or...? Well, we had a we had a full mix. I mean, we, you know, we were going around um, speaking to people from the, from the first minute. The other thing about the process of that was it started off because the deal got done and the season was just about to start. So we started off with well, just the first thing was just me on my own. I went to Scunthorpe away uh, with a camera, and then we started to build the team sort of as as the year uh, developed. And so we were sort of working it out as we went along. And obviously you, you, you experience different things with these fans and you and you see different things in them and what they might offer the series. My first interaction with the fans at Scunthorpe was I was walking around with a camera and at one point I sat down next to this nice family from Scunthorpe and they said, oh, how are you? Nice to see you. What are you doing here? And I couldn't really say anything. They asked me if I wanted a cup of tea. I went into the Sunderland end um, to film a shot from behind and uh, got shouted at, uh, they said, Who's that nonce with a camera? And I got shouted at by the fan. How did they know you? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, what have we signed up for? What are we getting ourselves on? And then when you start to, you know, we, we all shouted things at football games, so I forget <laughs> where that was. But then you start to meet these people and you start to see, you know, what the different types of fans you have and how much it matters to them, but on in, in different ways. And you mm-hmm. see the different people. We wanted to represent the whole city, so we've got sort of various different fans of different backgrounds um, in here. And it was just a case of being out there meeting people because... As you know from being up here, everyone wants to chat to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. So we just got chatting away and, and met some amazing people. There was, I remember there was one game they were losing quite heavily in and some fans didn't really like the camera being on them. Yeah. Um, how, how was that when fans don't react to a particularly... Obviously, they're getting beat 3-0 and it's obvious they're not going to be happy, but how was that for someone who's holding a camera to have fans who just want you to keep away and... Yeah, it, it was quite it was quite traumatic actually for the cameraman who uh, he got sort of wrestled to the ground and the camera uh, got so he tried to get the camera off him. It's hard in that instant. It's so many things happen in that moment. It's hard to then convey what we were talking before about this being made by Sunderland fans because you can't you can't say it at that moment. You can't go through it. And the people are just so passionate about it and they just took their anger out and it just boiled up. And um, yeah, well, it wasn't a nice moment, but. Um, he was also fine. He got up back and he wanted to carry on and it showed the sort of passion that he has for the job and that he experienced with the majority of the fans that he wanted to pick the camera straight back up, go back out and film that game. It was down in Bristol. And he wanted to, to get back in there and continue his job to show what was happening in front of his very eyes. And he's an amazing cameraman. We work with him a lot. Um, but he also cared about this place and the club and the fans. Uh, it was just a little incident that sort of boiled over very passionate fans, as you say, we are. We, we, we live and breathe football up here, but obviously, as you all know. The opening video, the opening theme song, uh, Shipyards by Sunland-based band Lake Poets. Uh, I love that song, really emotional. Uh, even just the opening 15 seconds, just that song is, is a very emotional song. How careful were you in deciding how the introductory video was put together? Oh, like, massively. In fact, that was one of the... Because we couldn't bring absolutely everyone in the whole process into your studio. There's a guy called Richard Cook, who uh, who was, was one of the, the men uh, producers on it, and edit producers on it, and he... Uh, that really was his kind of thing. He's actually not a Sunderland fan. He's a Villa fan. Uh, but he got into it enough to sort of get a sense of what the kind of place was all about and really felt it and that opening sequence really was his kind of uh, his baby yeah his baby and I'd like in, in a way it's, it feels even more significant because he wasn't a Sunderland fan that he managed that, you know through the, the process of it 
and working through all the footage and being you know being up here he sort of you know he he under he, he got an understanding of it and i i mean i, I love that mm. it gets to me it gets me every time <laughs> yeah. was um was the club paid to take part in this by the way no no okay um that's just one question that they will ask yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah of course um unlike man city <laughs> <laughs> well James Vaughan uh, missed a penalty against Celtic in the, in the last pre-season yeah. friendly in which we got beat 5-0. Set the tone for the rest of the season, really. At what stage, really, in this production did you realise things might not work out the way that you expected in the sense of going a fight back into the Premier League and going the other way? Well, it went in degrees, I think, mm-hmm. because it took us quite a long time. But what I mean, it wasn't until around Christmas time that we started to stop talking about I mean, I don't think that was just us. I think most Sunderland fans... We're talking about promotion long after that we probably shouldn't have been talking about promotion. And even when Coleman came in, he was looking at the table and can we sneak the playoffs? We all know that if you get in the playoffs at six, you're probably going to win it. And if it goes like this and that, then we can do it, you know. And and even during this slide, I mean, if you remember at the end of the year, it, it, we had so many outs. I remember like walking out of the Norwich game and like, you know, we, we with when we were when we were up, it looked like it was going to like, really pull us out of it, and then they equalised. And after you're looking at the table, even down to the Burton game, it was like it was very like it was very we were in we were in touch for, for you know for a long way through it. I think that is true that that if you just were watching what was going on on the pitch, you could kid yourself that there was up to a certain point a chance still of promotion, and up to a certain point a chance of still of still surviving and staying up. But I think having the insight. And seeing what was going on behind the scenes, seeing what was going on with the ownership, made us realise that regardless of whether we'd stayed in that division or not, there was a serious problem at the club, at the very heart of the club. And until you solved that problem, that ownership issue, it didn't really matter what division you were playing in. That was the truth of it. There was always going to be, there was always going to be something slightly, I hate to use the word, but something slightly rotten at the centre of the club. Um, so. Regardless of what was going on on the pitch, that was that was how we viewed it. So and the club, it was like the club that were like an addict who bottomed out at the end of last season. They finally like yeah. it got bad it had enough to that, yeah. that all of those t- all of the friends that weren't doing any good left, and all of like moved, we moved back in with our parents and started rebuilding again. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what needed to change. The ownership needed to change for it for for anything to change, regardless of where we were playing. I mean, even though obviously the relegation is an awful thing for us fans. Mm. I guess does it make better TV that it was more like heartbreaking and there's like potential of the next series being a much happier version, a much happier series, perhaps. I, I think if we'd survived in the in the fashion that we did in the Premiership for those three or four years under Poye, De Canio, Dick Avocat, etc., that would have been a great ending, and that was the ending we all wanted, both as fans and filmmakers. Once we were relegated, you were then going right. There needs to be something to lift this at the end. Because ultimately, to end on relegation and for Ellis Short to still be the owner would have been devastating. But then you did get that happy ending. You got that 3-0 against Wolves that came out of absolutely nowhere. Mm. You got the takeover, obviously, and Stuart Donald coming in. That gave you the ending that you needed. Yeah, and that's before when, when we were making it, we were talking about where this would go. Yeah, const- every week we talk about the every options. Week, every every week. week. It was like, what are the options? What are we doing? Okay, where do we go? And it was like, okay, but... It, what we think is going to happen and what do we want to happen, right? And that was the conversations all day. And the first conversations at the beginning of the year were, okay, it's got to be sneaking into the playoffs in the last... If you could write the script, 
it's tough seasons, up and downs, you know, all these sort of different controversies and all these things happening. And then we sneak into the playoffs in the last game of the season and then go on and win it at Wembley. That's one option. The other one is relegation, tough year, everything going wrong, and then just staying up in the last game now. We didn't, mm. it didn't quite pan out for either yeah. of those. It looked like it was going to happen at, at several points, like Ben was mm. saying. And, and what you're saying as well is we, because remember that these boys are fans and we all are football fans, and before three o'clock on a Saturday in every single game, you convince yourselves that that's the game you're going to win, right? Yeah, every single game. Yeah. And, yeah. and so every single time we're going, yeah, but if we're going to win today, so that gives three points, you're doing the maths, and so then we, all we need to do is win another two games. So even at the end, when mm. it was looking unlikely, every single day we were going in with the same sort of um, expectations and hope, and hope that... Yeah that was going to be the game that turned yeah. it around. And we extended it a bit at the end, didn't we? We extended the, the, the filming period just by a little bit longer at the end so we could get mm. that story because mm. it made such I mean, it just made such a difference to the kind of whole... Yeah. It's the hope I can't stand, as we say. As yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it, it's often alluded to in the series that there are players with bad attitudes about the place. And there's negativity surrounding the squad that ultimately led to our downfall. How well do you feel that this is being captured in the series? Well, we start off, you forget that Again, talking about the period that we're showing last year, we were talking about it earlier. We're starting off by talking about players like um, Gilabodji, Kazri, Ndong, Ndong Kone. Kone, all these players that didn't want to be here, made that quite clear, and that weren't and just as bad as it was to have them here because they didn't want to be here. They weren't a good fit for the club. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was there was some players here that fans didn't want here club didn't want here well though we you, you like, look at the Darren Gibson the, the Darren Gibson incident right no one no one can look at him and be impressed by his behavior that night after the Celtic game but at the same time you had a huge number of fans who came out after that clip was was leaked who said yeah the guy's a disgrace he's drunk after a game but he's saying what everyone else is thinking yeah you know whether he's right or wrong, he's saying what everyone else is thinking, and that and that was that was true. I mean, it didn't exactly clear the air and lead lead to a successful season, but I think in the series we we show enough of how difficult it was within the club in terms of the players that didn't want to be there, and there's particular focus on Jack Rodwell, for example. Yes. Um, uh, we got Martin Bain talking about it. We've got the clip from the from the physio room that alludes to it. So I think it comes across. I think it's pretty clear. We got very close to actually having a chat with him about it as well. Um, but just the sort of timing of it all didn't work out. But we, you know, we always try and offer everyone their their, their side of the story as well. But we, would lo- we would absolutely love to have had his side of the story in there. And we offered it a number of times. Yeah, because mm-hmm. what you want, because what you want in a show like this is to show the complexity of the whole thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're not looking to in. You, you want to show in a way. You want to show his side of it. Or like with Darren Gibson's actually an even better example. Like by the time he left the club at the end of the season, like and the circumstances he did and what was going on in his life, you can't really hound him for an interview. Mm. But it was really complicated what was going on in his life and and the problems that he was having. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, and it would have been great to. So we've got a lot of that story and we spoke to him through the season. But you know, we it would have been good to have got a bit more at the end of it. In a way, more for him and, than anybody else because it's more complex than it looks, and it's his yeah, right of reply definitely. that would have been. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and just to, and also with everything we try and do, we try and offer something that's you know a better insight than you would get from the papers or from a you know from from a newspaper or anything like that. Um, and yeah, we we were we were quite 
we're pushing quite hard to try and mm. get that to show that side because it was such a complicated situation. And, you know, from that first incident and the first incident and the whole way through the season, one thing that was apparent is that Darren did care. He obviously has his his issues, but he really did care about his club as well. And watching him turn it round as well, and this time last year, that's, in December, yeah, so when he started to come through, was like, this is amazing to see. And because he did something that I think is almost impossible in terms of football, which is the relationship with the fans. He managed to turn it around. Because I think at this time last year, fans were telling us and we were seeing and experiencing it where people were saying, oh my God, he's he's so important. And when he got injured around Christmas time, yeah. they were like, we're going to miss him. And he's huge. And, and There was a moment it looked like if he was going to stay fit, yeah. then there was a chance. Yeah. yeah. And one of the saddest sort of parts I felt was um, Johnny Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Constantly yeah. trying to get that fitness back up. But he just, I don't know what it is, he just couldn't stay fit and yeah. to the extent where they couldn't tackle him in training yeah, yeah. keep away from him yeah. um, and he's an, he's another one like you, you've picked, there's there's plenty you, you wanted to speak about the players that didn't care mm. but we're now talking about the players that do care yes. right, on, yeah. the other, on the flip side of this mm. Mm. and there are plenty of those and both of those two you're talking about Darren who had his issues last year but also Johnny as well he was a lone player that came up here and I got to know Johnny very well through the filming. Like, a, uh, you know, he's a lovely guy, and he it really, really affected him. It really affected him. He he wanted to do so many good things here, and he couldn't. His body just wouldn't let him do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't the right time. It wasn't working from up here, and he he was really frustrated that he couldn't um, turn it around and, and really help the team out. Because for him personally, and and for the club, like he, and there's plenty of other examples as well. But mm-hmm. you know, again, what we were saying earlier about hearing. Uh, what the fans are saying out on the street and then it, what you experience within the club were at times very different and, and a lot of the players that the fans were saying he doesn't give a shit he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care and then you're in the inside going in their houses and chatting with them and chatting away you know, with the cameras off mm-hmm. and knowing how much they did care yeah. um, were two very different things One of the players who um, a lot of the fans criticised was Lamine Corney what was his attitude like? Well, he, I mean, he, well, the first, the first thing to say about that was these boys actually, Fullwell, Fullwell actually sponsored Lamine Kone for one or two years. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. Uh, he, okay, he, you know, he, he didn't want to. He didn't want to be part of the filming. He didn't want to be part of the filming. Yeah, he didn't. Okay. You can't get him to play properly. It's even more difficult to get him to film properly. <laughs> so what? What was it? Difference with the two managers, working with Simon Driss and working with uh, Chris Corman, how were they different to work with? Uh, very different, very different. Okay. Um, yeah, very different. I think when he came in, Simon had a nervousness about him because um, I don't. I don't. I think the club was in such a tricky position that Simon was nervous about having the cameras around. He didn't. He didn't want them to be um, part of it, as, as a lot of managers did, as we were talking earlier. Chris was more open to filming, um, but neither of them really wanted to have the cameras around. Neither of them really wanted to have the cameras around. But but Chris is naturally much more comfortable with the media, much more comfortable with his own own image. I think that he was... Well, he's more established, isn't he? Chris is like, when Chris came to Sunderland, he'd already done, been, he already had success with Wales. He's like an established sort of character in the world of football. Simon Grayson was kind of building his career and Sunderland was like a massive, massive test for him. Mm. So it was he would naturally be a bit more sort of cagey about everything. Yeah, but I think just on a person personality wise, Chris I don't I, I think quite enjoys having 
cameras around as long as the pressure wasn't too great. Yeah. I think the, the situation changed that. Also, we we got to build that relationship from Chris from almost day one. So when he walked in, we were here. We were already making the series. Yeah. Whereas with Simon, he was here doing his job, and then we arrived to make the series. So um, that that played quite a big part as well. Well, I'm getting the wrap up, Q. So I've got yeah. a couple of questions for you to ask about the second series with Stuart Donald and Jack Ross uh, leading the line this time. Is it going to be a similar length, or can it be a bit longer, perhaps, since we've got a lot more exciting things happening this season? Or uh, in terms of episodes, mm. uh, it'll it'll probably be a similar length. I think it's uh, I think it's the it's the right number, the right number of episodes to tell a story over the course of a season. But the the the, the kind of the register of it's different. Obviously, the team are doing a lot better, mm-hmm. um, and Charlie and Stuart are well. It's not just a lot more open with us; they're a lot more open with everyone in general in fact we, yes. you know, we spoke about they're setting a new a new standard for the kind mm. of openness and transparency uh, and just enjoyment of running a football club so there's that side of it being brighter but there's also you're going to see a lot more of the inner workings of the club from that side mm-hmm. um, some of the access they've given us uh, at board level with the decisions they're making about players uh, about the club from a from a strategic point of view is going to blow people's minds absolutely fascinating yeah absolutely so we have um, obviously it feels like a different club just a completely different club for this next for the next series but if series 2 goes well which I'm sure it will could we see 3, 4 perhaps there's nothing we want to do more (laughs) (laughs) we'd happily roll this out for the rest of our careers this is the dream for us well very exciting this is uh, coming out on Netflix tonight yes until I die I'm sure you guys are very excited to see everyone's reaction to it as well. It's amazing to you, you know you film it, you work so hard on it, basically in dark rooms on your own, mm. and you think about how people are going to receive it. The, the first time you watch it with an audience is, is always an amazing experience. Yeah. You know. Is there anything you'd like to add, Suits? No, no. I'm, I'm buzzing to see it tonight. I'm buzzing to see reaction and to see how the you know people within the club and the fans mm. react as well. It's um. And like we said earlier about the whole world reacting to it, that's an amazing thing. Mm. You know, you think that Peter Farrer, a taxi driver from Sunderland, yeah. is going to be known in Wyoming in America. Do you know what I mean? It's amazing. Leo, Ben, also suits. Thank you for joining me. Um, this has been your Oprah Report podcast with Johnny Goldsmith and Football 73 and the Sun Until I Die documentary. It'll be on Netflix tonight. I hope you're going to be watching. Well, I know you will. I know you're going to love it. Uh, but thank you for joining me, guys. Pleasure. Thank Thanks you for having us. We will see you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.